Uh, it's a privilege to be here. Um, I mean, part of the reason why I've led in recovery is because, uh, you know, I had a porn addiction in my life. And so tonight we're going to be talking about forgiveness, and my wife had to really work through forgiving me, you know. And uh, there's been a couple of times where there's been some relapses in my life, and we've had to work through uh, just some difficult times. And re-engage has been a part of that in my life as we work through some of those things. But I'm really grateful for this church and Mandy and her role in our marriage because her and Leonard gave back to us when we were in need too. And um, so thank you for letting me be here. And so tonight, me and... Uh, Sirloin right here of pork is going to, we're going to teach tonight and we're going to talk on forgiveness. And so let me pray for us, okay? Lord, I'm just grateful uh, that you extend forgiveness to us. And I pray that, um, that you would teach us to forgive as you've forgiven us. And that's not easy. And so I pray that we'd get, a, get an understanding of that and that you'd be glorified in our marriages uh, through your work on the cross. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, well, so I was doing a little bit of research this week on happiness, and what do you think is the number one predictor of happiness in someone's life? Successful career? Money? Academic success? No. It is the depth and intimacy of your relationships. The depth and intimacy of your relationships is the number one predictor of happiness in your life. And so, um, and so as we're here and we're talking about probably the most important human relationship that you have, which is your marriage right here, the depth and intimacy of your marriage really matters. What do you think the number one predictor of divorce is? Come on. Yeah. Lack of depth, right? The number one predictor according to um, the Gottman Institute who's done marriage research for years is the presence of contempt in marriage. And contempt, the definition of contempt is um, disapproval tinged with disgust. And not that any of you have ever felt that, you know, towards one another, but, you know, you know, you look over at your husband and he's laying on the couch and his mouth is open and drool's coming out and it, or, or something worse, you know. Uh, we get disgusted at sin or when you're hurt or disrespected in marriage. And so holding on to that content, uh, that, that uh, contempt in marriage. And so then what is the number one predictor of success in marriage? If contempt is the number one predictor of divorce, the number one predictor of, con- of, of success in marriage is a couple's repairing skills, their ability to work through conflict. And so I'm thankful that you're all here because that's exactly what you're trying to do. You're trying to work through some of the struggles in your marriage. And so, and what we find is that when God pursues us and makes peace with us, he want the, one of the first things that he wants us to learn to do is to make peace with each other, to, to pursue peace just like he has. And he says that those who are peacemakers will be blessed. You know, Matthew 6 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then in Ephesians 4, 31 through 5, 1, I think I'm going to put it up here. Um, it says, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with malice, along with all malice, see, contempt, right? Uh, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as his beloved children. And so I think to understand this whole peacemaking process, we need to look at kind of what 
the Bible says about that. And what we find is that God created us for relationships. And when you sin against one another, there's broken, that, that relationship becomes broken. And what it creates is debt in your relationship. So God's put in us a sense of justice that wants balance. And we know that when we're hurt, uh, that there's debt in the relationship. We know this even from our language, right? So if you hurt someone, you need to do what? Make it up to them, right? If someone hurts you, they owe you an apology. And if someone doesn't make it up to you or owe you an apology, paybacks are what? Hello, right? So this whole idea of balance and payback and debt and debt reconciliation, that what's, that's what's really going on when there's broken fellowship and sin in a relationship. And so the peacemaking process for that is threefold in the Bible, is, is that um, first, when you have debt, just think about even in terms of uh, you're indebted financially, there's a couple ways that you can make up for that. The creditor can release you from their repayment claim, right? Or if you're the one in debt, you can make up and pay it all back, just like you all have to do with your mortgages, okay, to get even. And that's what this balance is. So this uh, releasing your claim on your rights is forgiveness. Making up for it is amends. And doing this back and forth until you reach balance or agreement that all accounts are settled is reconciliation. And you might have to work through some conflict with that. But that's exactly how that works. And so we're going to be talking about forgiveness, the first part of this. Um, and so, um, but first I want to talk about, you know, sometimes, sometimes there's so much debt in a relationship that there's no amount of payment that can ever make up for the damage that's been caused. And I know that in marriage, some of you are feeling this, but this is exactly what happened in our relationship with God, is that, um, is that you know, God is holy. And what that means is that he's absolutely morally perfect. And that's comprised of two different things, perfect judgment, perfect justice, and perfect love. And so what the scripture says is that the wages, again, here we go, payback, the wages of sin is death. So you need to understand that a perfectly moral, holy God, when you sin against him, you have a death penalty for that sin, for every sin, every thought, every action put upon you because he is holy and he can't change that. That's his nature. All right? But the good news is, is that he loves you. He loves you perfectly as well. And so he did something radical to fix this debt that you couldn't pay. And what he did was he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and repay your debt and make amends on your behalf. Colossians 2, 3 through 14 says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Thus he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so you need to understand that Christ paid your death penalty. He made amends for your sin. And we're reconciled to him when we, and then God extends that payment to you as a free gift and offering for you to receive and from when you receive that gift and you accept his payment as your own, that's when you're reconciled to God and all debt is canceled. That's what scripture says about peacemaking. And I want to make a key point here is that your debt of sin with God was not excused. It wasn't pardoned. It was paid in full. 
And that's a really substantial thing when you're talking about debt because you want justice and you want payback. And in this case, the debt, your debt was paid in full by God because he loved you. And so that wrath of God was poured out completely on on Christ. The father transferred his demand of justice for sin from you to the son at the cross. And so as you start to think about forgiveness, this idea of transferring the debt that you're owed to the cross is really, really important because it answers the question of where's justice for what's been done to me. So as we start to talk about forgiveness and what it is, I want to ask a question. If you in this room have trusted Christ and accepted that Christ's suffering was sufficient to pay the debt of your sin, have you also considered that Christ's suffering was sufficient to pay the debt of the sins against you? And I know there's been some deep hurt in this room. 1 John 2.2 says that Christ is the propitiation, which means satisfying atonement for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So I want you to understand that Christ was paying for all sin there. He was defeating death. And so what that means is if you, if you um, have a Christian who's sinned against you, that's hurt you, Christ's blood covers all sin, your sins, and that Christian sins against you. For non-Christians, you don't know if they're going to become Christians someday, if they owe you. Or... Is God's holy wrath poured out on them directly for eternity enough vengeance for you? For the sin that they did against you? You see, the one thing that's really important here is that there is no injustice with God. Zero. Every sin will be atoned for and paid for fully by God's holy wrath, either at the cross or at the day of judgment. And so, when I talk about forgiveness here, I'm talking about asking you to do the same thing and take the debt that you're owed and transfer it to the cross. There's no injustice with God. You can make God your debt collector. My mortgage has been sold to several different companies. If you transfer the debt that you're owed from your spouse, God will collect it in full one way or the other. And you don't have to worry about justice being had. Because it will happen happen through Jesus or through the judgment. So my second question is, what if God forgave you in the same way you forgave your spouse? Jesus told us to pray this, Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I know that forgiveness is hard. Some of you have gone through some terrible things here. Um, Some of you hold yourself in prison for things that you've done. All right? So I want to talk about, there's a lot of reasons why it's hard to forgive. Sometimes it's just because we really don't understand what forgiveness is. And our society teaches us really poorly on what forgiveness is. So I'm going to talk through some things that it's not first to help clarify. All right? So the first thing that it's not is forgiveness is not excusing sin, condoning sin, or saying that sin is okay, or even enabling sin. There is no excuse for sin. God hates sin and demands death as a justice for it, and Christ died for it. Sin is never okay, never okay. 
Number two, forgiving is not forgetting or freeing the guilty from justice. All sin must be fully repaid by God, and you must remember the offense, God's holy wrath for sin, his forgiveness of you in order to truly transfer that debt to him. Number three, forgiveness is not denying your hurt or stuffing your anger. You should be hurt and angered by sin against you. God is. Christ suffered for sin. And forgiveness actually frees you to give up on justice and work on and grieve the damage and really work through the emotions of how you've been hurt. It actually sets you free to do the healthy work underneath. Forgiveness is not a feeling. If you, it's an act of the will, a decision. If you wait to feel like forgiving, you might never forgive. And even after you've forgiven, you might feel at times that you're still hurt and you might need to revisit forgiveness. It's a decision. Forgiveness is not dependent upon someone repenting, making amends with you, or even reconciling with you. It is a decision between you and God alone. You, um, you can forgive someone who is unable and unwilling to make amends or reconcile. You can forgive someone who's dead. Forgiveness is not trust or restoration. Okay. Forgiving the past doesn't make someone trustworthy for the future. Forgiveness is a gift. Trust is earned. And I know some of you have been in the doghouse a long time and you're frustrated. You know? And this is where you need to be patient because trust is earned by just faithful living day by day to rebuild trust. It took, my wife forgave me soon. But it took years of, li- of me living differently and being a different person for her to fully trust me and, give, you know, and really give herself to me again. And that was just part of the process. She wasn't trying to imprison me or keep me there or hold it over my head. She just needed to have trust reestablished and see that I was different. But there's some other reasons why we don't forgive that aren't, so, aren't just misconceptions about this. You see, when someone owes you, you actually have an advantage. You have an upper hand in this. And sometimes we hold on to hurt and pain and we fashion it into something that we can use. So my friend here, like, like a suit of armor, okay? So some of you have been hurt deeply, hurt deeply. And you say, I'm going to remember this sin, and I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to put on a breastplate, and I'm, I'm going to use it to protect me. I'm going to pull back, and you're never going to hurt me this way again. And I'm going to hold on to this sin so that I'm not injured the same way again. And I put on this steel around my heart, protects my vital organs, keeps my distance. Or maybe you're like sirloin here, and you got your arm cut off. Okay, and, uh, and you didn't never even realize that you were in a battle, and all of a sudden it's out of nowhere, and you're getting attacked, all right? And so you fashion that hurt into a weapon. You say, I'm going to hold on to this hurt, and I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it in our battles together. When, you, when someone owes you, you have power over them. You owe me. You need to make it up to me, and you need to submit to my will. I can take something from you. When you hold on to sin, um, you might use it to uh, hide and justify your own sin. Hey, you did this to me, it frees me to do this. 
It might just be that you're selfish. I want my own pound of flesh and vengeance. My pain is more important than God's will here. And it is God's will for you to forgive. And so as I think through holding on to sin and using it for protection, a weapon, power, all that hurt that's against you, you know, I think that's contempt. Disapproval tinged with disgust. And it's not just contempt for your spouse. It's contempt for God. It's contempt for God's protection over your life. It's contempt for God's power over your life. It's contempt for God's rule over your life. It's contempt for your spouse and not just for your spouse's sin. We are to hate sin, but not the spouse. And here's the deal. God doesn't want sin to rule your life or your marriage. Not your sin or the sins against you. Christ died to free you from the power of sin. Romans 12, 21 says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You can be fully known and fully loved despite your sins because of the cross and God's work in you and through each other. And I know that there's some people in here that have been walking around in a suit and armor in their home. God doesn't want this for you. There's not a lot of intimacy happening if your spouse is dressed up like this. There's not tenderness. I can't kiss. There's... I don't know how you make love in this. Probably some of you can figure that out, but it just doesn't happen, you know? And, uh, and it's not gonna be great. Uh, and so uh, you, God wants you to be fully known and fully loved. Colossians, and so instead of putting on armor, God wants us to put on something else, all right? So Colossians 3, 12 through 15 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and meekness, and patience, bearing with one another as if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so, also must, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are indeed, indeed you are called in one body. You see, oneness, forgiveness, love, kindness, justice dealt with at the cross, And so we forgive based upon this passage because, one, it's a command to obey God's command. God wants the best for you. He's not trying to keep you distance. He wants you one in marriage. Forgiveness is a surrender of justice and vengeance to God, and he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and he sees the whole picture. He knows what went on. He can do a much better job of avenging the sin against you than you can. And... Finally, it frees you to love your spouse despite their sin. So when you transfer that justice to God, you no longer see through the lens of sin. You don't, you don't necessarily even see your spouse's need to reconcile with you. It's not your debt to collect anymore. It's God. But rather, you see their need to reconcile with God. And quite honestly, for those of you that want a healthy marriage, the only way that you're going to get that is if your spouse reconciles with God. Once someone reconciles with God, he'll change them and he'll work on reconciliation with you. So it allows you to approach your spouse out of love even in the worst of times, even when you've been hurt, injured and hurt. And this is hard. So how do you forgive? The first thing you do is pray. Lord, Help me to forgive as I've been forgiven. That's it. That's what he wants for you. Forgive your spouse 
as God's forgiven you. Recall Christ's forgiveness of all your sin, what Christ paid for on the cross, and ask, is Christ's blood enough to cover what my spouse has done to me? It's good enough for God. Is it good enough for you? And then I remember this acrostic, free. So first is face the truth. Be honest about sin. Don't dismiss it. Evaluate it by God's word. Don't deny or minimize sin. Christ died for that sin. It's serious, right? Second part is release the hurt. Give your pain to God. God knows and cares. Grieve the damage of sin as you surrender it to God. There's a loss. There's a real loss that's happened. Second, or third, E, uh, entrust justice to God. So by transferring your claims for justice to God, make God your debt collector. He'll judge and avenge all sin perfectly. Give up your rights for apologies, vengeance, or to dwell upon the sin. It's no longer yours to collect. It's God's. And then exalt Christ. Thank God for paying for your own sins. Thank him for loving your spouse enough to offer him or her forgiveness through Christ. And then ask God to help you love your spouse supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God loves you deeply, and he loves your spouse too. Sometimes the greatest witness of Christ's love is the undeserved love of one offended spouse, from one offended spouse to the other. Through Christ, you no longer have to be controlled by your sin or the sin that's done to you. He came to set you free from the power of sin of your relationship with God and with each other. He wants you to be fully known and fully loved. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for Christ and the way that you loved us and that all sin is going to be dealt with perfectly. I just pray that we trust you with all that's been done to us. And I pray that if there's sin in our lives, that we would repent and turn and receive your offer of grace, that you change us from the inside out so that we can love our spouse. Um, and then I pray when there's sin against us, that we would do the same, that we transfer that to the cross. You deal with it justly either there or at the time of judgment. And you free us to love our spouse despite their sin in a way that reflects your love. Thank you so much for grace and what you've done through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glorified in these marriages. In Jesus' name I pray.